Hello and welcome to another High Tides Dota 2 podcast. I am your crewmate for today, Iger. And joined with me today is the one and only Morphling spammer, Justin. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm excited to have this opportunity to kind of talk about this glorious game called Dota 2. Yes, the glorious Dota 2. It's like a cult, <laughs> you know, underground and then people there are addicted to it. <laughs> I think everyone's addicted to it. So since our last episode, there has been the 7.28 C patch. We don't need to go through all of the changes. Are there just any changes there that stuck out to you? Uh, to me, um, I mean, honestly, when when these patches drop, I don't really care. Well, like, well, I guess what I'd like to look at is I like like to look at what heroes have been played a lot, particularly within the pro scene. So in this case, you can think of Outward Devourer. He's been picked a lot. Um, Bat Rider has been picked a lot as mid. Um, and you can just kind of see if Valve has done anything to address those um, the strengths of those heroes. And then I always like to look at my core heroes, which is Morphling and Arc Warden, typically. Um, so yeah, so we can kind of maybe chat about the Morphling changes because they kind of reworked the timing on his alts a bit. Yeah, so for Morphling, they have changed the cooldown. So it's a lot, uh, the cooldown's a lot higher at level one. And actually, it's just all levels, it's 20 more. But hmm. when you buy the Scepter, it does reduce the cooldown of Morph. Uh, what do you think about it? It's a bit tricky. So I, I see why they did it, because what Morphling's strength was, um, particularly when he has comboed with some other heroes, so Earthshaker's the one that comes to my mind, is that he could... He can morph into Earthshaker when he has Aegon Scepter. Um, so morph, so Shaker would be on his team. He morphs, morphs into Aegon, he morphs into um, Earthshaker, and then he can kind of spam his stuns and abilities and all that stuff. And he pretty much always had constant uptime with that morph. I think it was only like a five or six second cooldown. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so this this type of adjustments to the timing have kind of tried to address that a bit. I think. But really, for me, it doesn't really affect me a whole lot because if I look at the stats of my Morphling play, I rarely use Morphling's ultimate. And there's kind of a couple of reasons for that, but we can kind of chat about that a bit later. All right. Uh, fair enough. What about uh, the change to Earthshaker, I guess, because it is a bit tied to Morphling, where the Aftershock, when you get the Shard, it only stuns for half duration now. So not as OP as before. Do you think it was fine before? Do you think this is a reasonable balance? Or do you think it's kind of dead now? It's a slight adjustment in my opinion, but it's it's still good because his his um his uh fizzer shard was pretty good. Um just particularly because it was like an AoE around his um his fissure that he would place down and, and to have that full full duration, it was pretty good. So to see it get halved, I think brings it a bit more into reality because because again you have to think in mind like this is a 1500 gold gold investment right and you you don't yeah. want to um you don't want to make it too good right but also you don't want to make it too weak where no one gets it either so i i i, I like this adjustment i'd be interested to see how that it does impact the gameplay though yeah i haven't seen a lot of people kind of rush it as much i guess Mm -hmm. uh, before i saw people who were really under farm just get it at 20 minutes even before blink but now a lot of people go back to the blink first, um, yeah. which I think is fair, because like you said, it it is very cheap for what it did before. Yeah, exactly right. It's always that cost to performance analysis you kind of do for every hero. And the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about was um, Ricky. 
So Ricky's uh, Trick of the Trade Scepter no longer increases the duration. It used to be from two seconds. It went up by one. So it had two more extra like attacks, I guess, to attack rotations. And then level 25, they reduce the cooldown. So instead of reducing it by six, it's now reduced by four. You're not really a Ricky spammer, but did you think Ricky was strong before? Or do you think this was um, too much? Of a nerf. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a good point. I don't really play Ricky a whole lot, but I do play a lot of games against him. So, I don't know, looking at these adjustments, I I mean, I'm going to be a bit biased because I don't play Ricky, so therefore every nerf I see, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> Ricky's getting weaker. Um, I like, I guess trying to put on my unbiased hat here, It's I, I do like this adjustment. Um, Tricks of the Trade, it's, it's a good ability, right? Because it's kind of like Juggernaut Alt, where it's an ability that allows a hero to dish out a ton of damage, but yet remain immune during that time, right? So similar to Juggernaut Alt, where Juggernaut Alt is right. doing damage, but he's immune, right? Same with Tricks of the Trade, you know, Ricky's doing damage and he's immune. So it's a strong ability. And I guess to really increase that duration, because what, what was the duration before? It was... So without Ags, it's two seconds before. And then when you yeah. bought the Ags, it went to three seconds. It yeah. was an extra second. It always feels a bit longer. I was thinking it was more like almost four to five seconds. But I, I, I guess like... Yeah, when yeah. you're inside the cloud and the tricks, it feels like it lasts so long oh. and you just die. So. Exactly, right? But yeah, I don't know. I, I do like this a bit because really what this type of swapping does is it forces the Ricky player to wait to level 25 in order to get that reduced cooldown. And and therefore, you know, it, it just means that that ability is not going to come online to its fullest potential until later on in the game. And then hopefully later on in the game, the other heroes ideally had a chance to kind of have a bit more farm so they can manage with that type of ability a bit more so it doesn't become overpowered. Um, so yeah, I guess really my general thoughts are I, I do kind of like this adjustment. But again, we'll see how it how it actually affects within within the games, whether it's pubs or within the pro scene. Okay. Um, for those who didn't know, Justin is our mid player, or at the very least, usually you end up playing mid, and yeah. usually you end up playing Morphling or Arcorden. Yep. So we we are going to focus our discussion on those two heroes today. Let's focus first on Morphling. Do you think the concept of morphling is balanced and do you think right now morphling is balanced yes and yes i i think morphling is balanced and i think the concept of him is balanced so so i guess really for our new reviewers out there the concept of morphling is like his real strength is the fact that he can switch around his agility and his, his agility stats and his strength stats so he can pump more of his strength stats he can shift those over to his agility and therefore with higher agility he does more damage attacks quicker has higher armor and all that good stuff right and then when he starts to take damage he can shift those agilities back into strength and therefore increase his health pool and make himself a bit more tanky and that kind of fluctuation is, is really the bread and butter of morphling um so the reasons i think he's still balanced is because there's a number of ways you can really deal with morphling one of them is illusions um he doesn't do well as a single kind of target hero, he doesn't really do well against illusions. Like, yes, his waveform does AoE, but it's not enough to typically clear illusions. And and then there's kind of other little nuances about him. Like, for example, Spirit Vessel, although I'll put an asterisk beside that, whether that's a counter or not, but basically stuff that then inhibits him from switching back and forth. So Silences or Spirit Vessel or um, AA Ultimate. Um, I think those are all things that can kind of help to deal with the Morphlings and, and really stops him from becoming that overpowered hero. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on my I, I do think he is he he's in a good spot right now, in my opinion. 
Do you think his shifting of attributes? I don't really know what the skill name is called. I think it's just called attribute shift. Yeah. Um, exactly. Do you think it's balanced that it doesn't have a mana cost? And because, like, whenever you're playing against Morphling, it feels like once he hits level three, uh, like, definitely level five, it feels like it's so hard to pressure him out of lane at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Once Morphling gets that second skill point in his attribute shift, which is the ability that lets him shift between his strength and his um his agility stats, like that that's really where he he starts to become, like you said, harder to pressure out of lane, right? But it, it, it does depend, right? Because he, he's also still squishy. And and the thing about Morphling is that if so when you when you pick Morphling as your hero and you go through your strategy phase and then he spawns on the map, his base attack is super low. It's only like forty-two or forty Maybe even, in, uh, I don't think it's quite in the 30s, but definitely low 40s, right? Like 42 damage a hit, um, which is super low. And and so what you have to do is you then have to take your strength and push it into your um, your agility in order to increase his right clicks. You're going to have to get hit, right clicks. And and what that does is, yeah, it increases his attack, his his right click attack, but it then decreases the amount of HP it has. And, and that's true even when he gets to level 4 or 5, is that he still has... He still has basically a low HP, HP pool, which means you can do a lot of harass to him and, and kind of pressure him out of lane like that. But I guess what you're getting at is that really the thing about Morphling, though, is that... Well, it just feels like he doesn't need to buy regen compared to it, other Exactly, heroes. because no matter how much you harass him, he's, only, he's always going to have around 200, 300 HP because he'll just push all his... Uh, He'll just push all his stats to to agility, go bring his health pool down to one, and then when you put strength back in, it, it then brings that health pool from one all the way up to like around 100 or 200 HP, depending on what level he is. So I guess really it it depends on how much you can harass him, right? Like Morphling's big big Achilles heel is is nukes. So if if you're in a lane, for example, that has a oh, what's a good example? A lane that has um, a lot of harass, or yeah, like like a bristleback or a or a lion to some regards um, can can be a bit of trouble for Morphling. Um, so it it really depends on the matchup, like who what the heroes are that are playing against them Morphling, on whether or not you can really pressure him out late or not. But and, and I think that's kind of true of most heroes. Um, each hero has its own strengths and weaknesses depending on who they're playing against. That is what Dota is about, right? Everyone's kind of OP in the same time, and everyone's kind of trash whenever you look at it. Yeah. I have two Morphling suggestions. Let me know what you think about them, okay? All right. So the first one, what if the attribute shift, right, was changed so that it's his ultimate, and then, I don't know, just give him another skill. You don't like morph anyway, right? And then you can increase his base stats, at like, you know, so that he, he looks like an actual hero at level one, but then he just yeah. gets his, like, attribute shift at level six. What do you think, think about that change? I think, I, hmm. It's interesting, and I guess I'd be more favorable for that if you then also adjusted his attribute shift so that it can go through stuns. So if you remember way back in the old <laughs> days when Morphling got chronoed, for example, you could still attribute shift in chrono. Or if, or if Morphling got called, he could still, from Axe, he could still shift his attributes. And I, I think you'd have to add that back in in order to make that skill a worthwhile uh, level 6 skill. But I guess without that adjustment, I, I wouldn't really be a, f a fan of that type of change. And, and we can maybe we can talk about his ultimate a bit more. Um, I guess the the thing like his ultimate is good, no questions about that in my opinion. Um, the reason I don't use it a whole lot is because it's very situational. Because if you get caught 
when you're morphed. So if, if so for example, if I turn into a lion and that lion then turns around and hexes me, I lose my primary bread and butter skill, which is that attribute shift, right? I can no longer recover HP while I'm taking damage because I'm stuck in that lion illusion. And, and that's and that's the danger, right? Because there's that 0.5 or half a second it takes to sh- switch between your morphling and your and whoever your morphling is turning into, and and that's the real weak or that's one of the weaknesses of, of his ability or his ultimate and why I don't like it. Um, if you remember back when morph gave you a different HP HP pool, um, that that was a bit different because it it, it like off like that was a bit overpowered. I do have to admit in hindsight, but it but but having that extra HP pool or having that H- different HP bar kind of address that issue of his ultimate and taking it away. It, it like his ultimate is just, it's just such a danger. Like you have to make sure that when you change in that you're able to change back when you want to, so you can regain some strength if you start to take damage. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to your, your initial suggestion, but more than that, I wouldn't be a big fan of that. And that's kind of one of the reasons why is that attribute shift. I don't think is strong enough to be worthy of an ultimate ability. Hmm. With the the whole morph thing, right? I guess it's because you have to kind of press two buttons, right? Whereas if you're morphling, you you can just kind of panic button the strength shift. Totally. Whereas if you're morph, you have to morph and then press the strength shift. So. Exactly. So so let me paint a scenario. So let's say you're morphling and you're you're against the faces void, and faces void basically does this time walk, which is a pretty obvious animation of faces void jumping forwards, and he's going to chrono you, right? If you're Morphling, all you have to do is hit F. And when I play Morphling, I always have my finger holding, like, right on that key that causes me to shift strength, which in my case is F. And so as soon as I see Vases Void jump forwards, I hit F. Void chronos me. I'm strength. I'm shifting into strength. I am gaining a lot of HP. Void can't kill me. But let's say I was walking around as Lion, or let's say I waveformed in, turned into a Lion, and then Void jumps forwards. I see Void jumping forwards, but I only have time to hit one key, right? And that one key I have to hit is going to be my Morph key to turn myself back into Morphling so I can then shift strength. But there's not enough time for me to do both of those steps. And and yeah, that, that's kind of really the weakness of his ultimate is that it's easier to... When he when he turns into that other hero, it's so much easier to catch that Morphling and really reduce his um, ability to really take advantage of what makes Morphling strong, which is that shifting of attributes. Yeah, I kind of just looked into it right now. The changing of morph is uh, it has a one second cooldown. Exactly. So you can't right? even like turn into lion hex and then immediately turn back. Yeah, and it drives me nuts, right? Because like the only way you can do that reliably, in my opinion, is if, is if you had a BKB, right? That way people can't catch you in that transition. But mm-hmm. BKB doesn't stop, you know, a black hole or doesn't stop the um, chronosphere or or those other abilities. Um, okay. Um, my other suggestion for Morphling is what if, same thing again, you can increase his base stats so he's an actual hero at level 1 or during the laning phase, but what if the moment he's at like, I don't know, 1% HP or at like 10 HP, you can't go down more in your strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you mean. Like, let's say you have 30 strength left, right? But you're already at 10 HP. You yeah. can't forcibly go down even more. Yeah, so so really that suggestion you're putting forward is, is, is addressing the ability for Morphine to kind of regain free HP, so to say. So yeah, exactly. Again, if it, yeah, exactly, right? It would be a pretty big nerf, in my opinion. Like, that'd be almost, that'd be definitely a worse... Um, a worse version of Morphine. Well, a worse alteration 
alter altering of morphine than than your first suggestion. Just because, let's say you were you were in a team fight, you were taking a ton of damage, so you morphed completely into strength, right? Then going by your suggestion, where you can't you can't strength you can't reduce your strength past the point where where you know where your HP is from between that one one mark one p eight what like one HP point to ten HP point, then like it'd be so hard for you to to get back down to a reasonable agility level, right? Because if, if you were taking a ton of damage when you're in full strength and your HP goes all the way down to 20 and you're full strength, then then you're in a situation where you can no longer shift any attribute to agility, I guess technically ever again, because you're you're always your HP is always at that well, I guess without going back without having to go back to the fountain to heal up. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Like I guess like because I guess really like both both your scenarios and morphine are kind of addressing that fact that he he can regain that free HP really you're either trying to delay it to level six or just prevent him from doing it altogether. Yeah, I guess it just feels bad, you know, when you are on a losing side and you're laning against morphine, it feels like you just can't do anything. Oh, totally, and and I abuse that all the time when I'm against a queen of pain. Like queen of pain's main laning strength is if actually dagger someone they lose a ton of hp and then that, that's her harass right but with morphling i don't i don't care right she daggers me i wait for that dagger to end i go all the way down to one hp so shifting everything into agility then shift like a couple points back into strength and i regain like 200 hp and i keep doing that it's like same with venom of a lane gets some venom like he never like their bread and butter is damage over time and morphling does really well with damage over time it's just such a big nerve for morphling's laning stage and he's already he's already a farm intensive hero right so if you mer- if you um, nerf his laning stage, he now almost becomes an obsolete hero because morphing requires a lot of farm in order to be effective. And and to get a lot of farm, you have to have typically a, a somewhat decent laning stage or else you're going to be farming forever. So if you kind of take away, if you start to nerf his laning stage, like he, he's just going to become such a weak hero that he'll never really come online, in my opinion. Well, we'll see. Maybe they'll do something similar to the first suggestion, <laughs> t- turning it to... Uh, his ultimate, the attribute shift, because, you know, in, in your example, he does get another skill to level up at uh, the laning stage, right? The, the only problem usually with Morphling is that because his stats are really low at the beginning, um, yeah. including intelligence, right? He can't really cast a lot of spells, but, yeah. you know, maybe they give him a lot more intelligence. Maybe he has this kind of morph, the same ulti as a regular skill kind of like terrorblade where it's a long cooldown yeah right um but then at least if you're laning with a lion then you know he has a, he has an extra stun as morphling now in the laning phase and that could be yeah. a big difference yeah yeah um, i mean it, it's interesting because like you also have to keep in mind about the skill differentials so for example a morphling in a lower skill bracket is not nearly as potent as as he is in let's say the pro scene and because I've watched a fair bit of pro games, and when they pick Morphling, like they use Morphs, like Morphling's ultimate, so his his ultimate called Morph, a lot more than I do in my games. And I guess really just kind of to me it just highlights the fact that in the right hands or or in in a competent player's hand, Morphing can be a much different hero than in a less experienced player's hands. Like like unlike unlike a Viper, where it doesn't really matter. Or like a Viper has a very low skill cap, I guess is what I'm saying. And Morphing has a really high skill cap, and it's, so it's kind of hard to to keep a hero balanced so that applicable in both that low skill cap and the high skill cap ranges, right? Because if you nerf him too much, then he's never going to get picked in the pro scene. 
but if, if you if you buff him too much then he's going to get picked all the time in the pro scene and, and therefore he's he's going to get you know he's never going to get played he's either going to get banned or he's he's going to be considered overpowered right and I, I think that's really one of the big challenges that Valve struggles with or really any hero is trying to balance the hero so that he's so that hero is relevant in both the low skill and the high skill brackets with you saying you know the difference between the skill is huge how do you think about Morphling? Do you think Morphling is a very hard hero? Or uh, do you think he's average, slightly above average in terms of difficulty? Um, I, and also, who do you think is the hardest hero to play in Dota? Yeah, I guess. so I, I think Morphling is a definitely an above average. Like, he's solidly above average when it comes to difficulty. And that's kind of represented in in his, I, I guess, in, in where he's picked in the... Um, in the brackets, like you'll never see a more well. If you do see any morphines picked in a, in a low skill bracket, like that morphine is typically going to die a lot because that that newer player doesn't have that feel for how much agility and how much strength it should have. But yet, you watch the pro scenes and, and you'll see morphine get picked a whole lot. And so, so I, I guess to answer your question, I, I think yeah, morphine's definitely an above average difficulty hero, but he's definitely not the highest. Um, so for me, Invoker, um, kind of falls in that category where he's um. He's definitely, in my opinion, probably one of the highest skill requirements when it comes to a hero in Dota 2. And that's mainly because just his, um, just the amount of skill and knowledge you need in order to swap around um, the, the different abilities. I think, what, the nine nine skills, the nine spells Invoker can cast? Um, and, and, like and all the different combos that those skills can have together. So for me, I think Invoker is probably the highest skill hero. And... And and Meepo to some degree as well, although I'm hesitating for Meepo because unlike Invoker, where you have to become very good at doing a bunch of different tasks, Meepo is just you have to be very good at doing one task, and that's micromanaging all of your four Meepos that you have. Um, but honestly, those, those two heroes, Invoker and Meepo, are definitely higher skilled than Warflame, but I think Warflame is kind of really up there as well, too, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you with Warflame being a, you know, quite a hard hero. I actually disagree with um, the the Meepo and the Invoker. I think Meepo is a lot harder to play than yeah. Invoker. Uh, just because I think with Invoker, once you get used to the basic combo, you can kind of contribute to your team enough. Whereas with Meepo, you know, you mess up once or twice with Meepo, your game's kind of over immediately. Kind of like Broodmother, where... You just are trying to catch up, and your hero's not supposed to catch up. So I think Meepo's a lot harder in that sense. Like, maybe not so much in the, you know, I have to just micro the hero thing. But in terms of your place in the game, it's a lot harder to play Meepo, I think. No, that's a good point. Like, Meepo's definitely a very unforgiving hero. And what we mean by that is, he does, he, like, mistakes you make on, on a Meepo are much more compounding than the mistakes you make on a Viper or a Dragonite or something like that. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, so, no, I, I, I can see that. Um, All right. Um, let's go back to Morphling. Um, you usually play Morphling mid, uh, but you can also talk about safe lane morph if you would like. What are some good or bad matchups that you feel like uh, other people either see as a very common matchup or things where, oh man, they pick this, I really hate laning against this hero. I'll start with mid lane because that's where most of my experience is. Any hero, any mid lane hero that does damage over time is very weak against Warfling. So Queen of Pain comes to my mind or a Venomancer if you ever see that mid. 
like a, a Zeus even. So like these these squishy heroes that don't want an enemy hero to jump on them, and heroes that kind of do you know a bit of damage over time and kind of chips away at at their opponent. Like those are the heroes that Morphine is really good against because what you can do, because like, again going back to Morphine's bread and butter, which is his attribute shift, is that that damage over time doesn't really affect Morphine because no matter how much damage Morphine takes, he's always going to have like that 200, 300 HP pool that he's always going to get regardless of whether he bought regen or not. And then Morphine's waveform, which allows him to basically reposition himself, allows gives Morphine a tool to put himself on top of an enemy hero, right? So if that enemy hero is squishy, Morphine can waveform on that hero and, and then kind of hit that hero and do a lot of damage and harassment that way. Um, with that said, there there are the the weaknesses to morphine are then the nukes, right? Particularly in the early levels when morphine's attribute shift isn't fast enough to to keep up with the damage he's taking, and and that's kind of where it, it becomes a bit tricky because a lot of the times the counters to morphine all depend on the early game, and and how well and who wins those first couple of levels in the mid lane matchup. Uh, so for example, Wind Ranger is a hero that is hard for morphine to. It's kind of hard for Morphine to play against because Wind Ranger has that power shot, which does a lot of damage. And if Wind Ranger is able to land that power shot a couple of times on Morphine, it's enough harassment to kind of keep Morphine wary. But on the other hand, if Wind Ranger misses her power shot a couple of times, then Morphine now has an ability, his his um waveform to then to basically put himself on top of Wind Ranger and start to hit her a lot. And Wind Ranger is then a squishy hero, right? So so that matchup can go back and forth. But then Shadow Fiend is again also in that same situation, right? He's a squishy hero, but there's a lot of nuke. So if Shadowfiend can land his raises on Morphine, then then Shadowfiend's going to have a great time. But if if Shadowfiend misses his raises and Morphine has that opportunity to waveform on top of Shadowfiend, then then then, Morph- then Shadowfiend's going to struggle a bit. So so that's kind of really the the pros and cons, right? Morphine's good against these um damage over time heroes that are squishy, and he's he's poor against the heroes that have a lot of nuke damage. Um, but but player player skill always plays a role as well. Okay, so what about these matchups? So again, mid lane. Uh, what do you think about playing against Timbersaw, against Templar Assassin, and against what was the last hero I was thinking? Uh, Monkey King. Yeah, I didn't talk about the tanky heroes. Yeah, T- Timbersaw is a pretty good matchup against Morphine in the mid lane. Um, Timbersaw is a pretty tanky hero. Um, even though Morphine does have a pretty strong right click because he's able to attribute shift a lot into agility, um, it's usually not enough to overcome uh, tankiness of a of a Timber. So yeah, t- Timber Timber is a good. Timber would have a good lane against Warfleen. Um TA depends. Again, it depends. If you're if you're able to get that early harassment and get that level advantage on a TA, then Warfleen will be okay. Um, but the side blades of TA can, can be a bit of a pain because Warfleen has such a small attack range that So for Templar Assassin, um if let's say you're the same skill level as the person you're leaning against, mm-hmm. how do you feel about Morphling? Is it 50-50? 45, would, 55, how is I'd it? Say, yeah, I'd say it's a bit low, a bit below 50-50 then, just just because of the attack range difference. Uh, Morph, Morphine's low attack range will kind of be his Achilles heel in, in that regard, because he has to come close to the creeps to get them to last hit, and, and when you come close to creeps, the side blades from the Templar Assassin will then deal a fair bit of damage to you. All right, and our last one was Monkey King. If, if both players are equally skilled, I, I, would give it, I would give that one a 50-50. Um, and again, it comes down to the attack range. Like, like arguably, Monkey King's attack range is almost as <laughs> almost as good as Morphling's, <laughs> and and therefore, it, when he's able to build up his Jingu stacks on Morphling, um, that's that's an ability that allows him to do a lot of damage to Morphling, um, particularly in the early levels. 
But if Morphling is able to hang in there and get the, and get the levels on the same pace as Monkey King, then then in the then by the time Morphling's level five, level six, and he's in a much better position than the Monkey King, who would be at an equal level. So, I, so yeah, in that matchup, Monkey King has the advantage on getting those levels earlier. But if he, if he fails to do that, then then Morphling will, will definitely take over the lane later. All right. Uh, our last topic for Morphling will be on his Aghanims and his Aghanim shards. So for his Aghanims, it allows you to replicate an allied hero, gives you some cast range, and as we mentioned before, also lowers the cooldown of Morph. And as for the shard, it's kind of his previous level 25 talent where he could shoot two or three of the adaptive strikes. Yeah. So now with the shard, it shoots two strikes every time. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about these two items? I'll start with the shard. I think the shard is terrible, to be perfectly honest. And it, it kind of comes down to the, the cost-to-benefit ratio, right? To, to invest 1,500 gold just to get an extra adaptive strike, um, like that's 1,500 gold that could have bought you a, a gold scepter for your E-Blade, which would, do, which would contribute a lot more. Or that's 1,500 gold that would get you right towards Ayasha, which gives you significantly, significantly more amounts of agility that you can then work with and play around with. Um, and and I don't know, like that the value of getting that extra adaptive that extra adaptive strike isn't really there for that gold cost. And the fact that it removes a three second cooldown between those two abilities is, is almost irrelevant. Like there's been very few times where I've ever been like, oh man, I would I'll just cast my adaptive strike ability. Like let's say the agility adaptive strike, and then I'll be like, oh man, I wish I could cast my strength one. Like that that there's very little instances where I, where I've ever wished that to happen. So yeah, I, I think a shard is terrible. So um, even as a like, because you don't need to rush it, right? Like even after yeah. like, let's say you have E Blade, BKB, Scotty, you still wouldn't like consider this over any items. Yeah, that's st- still then like there's always better items. Like I get a Moon Shard before I get an Adaptive Strike, <laughs> okay, or before, before I get Aegon Shard. Um, yeah, because because in the later games the heroes are tanky, right? So your Adaptive Strike is kind of less effective. Arguably, um, and you know what? If 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 that isn't the case, and that means you're winning the game hard, and then that extra adaptive strike doesn't even matter because you can just right click because you can like why cast adaptive strike and and when when you could just right click someone twice and do the exact same amount of damage or once and do the exact same amount of damage, right? So so like there's never a time or a situation in which you would want to get this, right? If if Morphine's ahead, you don't want to get you, you wouldn't want to get that because you're already winning, right? You you invest in your BKB and just continue to snowball and if you're losing you definitely don't want to get this because it's it's not because then the enemy heroes are tankier and your depth of strikes aren't aren't doing as much of a nuke as they as they could be um his aegonum scepter on the other hand that's situational right um and that and like the key about his aegonum scepter is the fact that it allows you to target morph on allied heroes right so it allows for that combination so the morphine earthshaker combo the uh What's the other one I saw? The uh, morphine spearbreaker combo, like like that's what that's where his Aegonum scepter comes in comes in play, right? Is that you have to have that combo already drafted in, into your lineup, um, in, in order to really make it viable. It's not an Aegonum scepter like Juggernauts where you could just purchase it at any game and you'll be fine. It's you have to have the right allied heroes to make it viable, um, and and yeah, so so, so that is viable, um, I, I think, and that and that kind of depends on the situation. But yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on, on the scepter and the shard. All right, awesome. Uh, our next hero is Arc Warden. I remember the time when you started playing Arc Warden. And to me, I was just like, hey, oh, well, he's playing another hero. 
And you've tried this before with other heroes, like Invoker. You know, you had your stunt of trying Invoker out. You've tried OD. So I thought it would be something like that. I didn't think that you would start spamming the hero as much. What was it about Arc Warden that made you think, huh, I kind of want to really master this hero? What really draws me to Arc Warden is kind of what draws me towards Morphine as well, is that it's, it's a hero that requires a high level of skill in order to be effective with. And, and that type of challenge is something that's always drawn me. And, and you know, and you mentioned Invoker, right? like that's one of the reasons why I've been trying to practice Invoker. Um, but, but the reason why I've carried on with Arc Warden and kind of dropped Invoker is because I guess Arc Warden, it's, it's really his Spark Race, I guess. His Spark Race is just so much fun to place down. Those, those little bombs you can place on, on the map that do a ton of damage. Um, and it really allows him to kind of dominate a lane almost like, so I take Arc Warden mid and, you know, plays a couple of Spark Race on the enemy side of the map when you're in the mid lane and stopping the enemy mid laner from backing up. And like, it's, it's that type of dynamic that I, I really like. So the, the skill level takes the play of these heroes, um, just opens up the wide variety of stuff you can do with them. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I, I pick Morphine a lot as well, too. So I, I, I guess to kind of really answer your question, it's it's the um, it's kind of the toolkit that Arc Warden has, that combo of, of being able to micro his ultimate, so his um, his Tempest Double, uh, being able to place those Spark Graves down, and then, you know, slowing everything down with the Flux. It's, it's, it's just it's a fun hero to play, in my opinion. Going back to an earlier question about difficulty, which one do you think is harder to play, Morphling or Arc Warden? Depends on, I mean, depends on the player. So, so what makes Arc Warden difficult is the fact that you have to micro, right? If you don't micro Arc Arc Warden's Tempest Devil, then you're effectively only doing half, or you're only contributing half the amount of damage. You're only contributing half the amount of damage, the, only having half the amount of impact that you could do, because the Tempest Devil is essentially a perfect replica of the main hero, and and if you're unable to, for example, cast two Spark Wraiths, so one Spark Wraith with your main hero, one Spark Wraith with your Tempest Double, if you're unable to cast the two Fluxes, so one Flux with your main hero, one Flux with your Tempest Double, then then you're going to struggle playing Arc Warden. And that's going to come with time. Uh, Morphling, on the other hand, doesn't require any micromanagement. Instead, Morphling, what makes him challenging is knowing that balance between how much agility you can have without dying and how much strength you need in order to survive the nukes. And that's where kind of experience comes into play, right? So, for example, me, I have a gut instinct of when the lion fingers me, when he does his finger of death on me, I know how much HP I need in order to survive that. And I, and I can tell just by looking at my own HP bar that's on top of my hero on the map. And then that's, that's where the difficulty for morphing comes in, um, as well as being able to use his ultimate effectively as well um, and knowing when to use it and how to use it. But, yeah, that, that's kind of why those two heroes require the, the, the skill or a bit higher of a skill level than, than other heroes in the game, in my opinion. Okay. You usually play Arc Warden in the mid lane. But honestly, when I watch pro players play Arc Warden, I think I usually see safe lane Arc Warden. Yeah. Um, have you considered this? or And um, what do you think? Do you think it's better in the mid lane? Do you think it's better on the safe lane? It's a, it's a difficult question to answer because really at the end of the day, Arc Warden is best where he's going to be able to farm. Right? Because um, Arc Warden is one of those heroes that just needs to farm and farm and farm, right? His first item is going to be his Midas, his next item is going to be his Maelstorm, then he's going to get Boots of Travel, and then he's just going to TP all over the map and farm for like the next 20 minutes. And whatever lane can best 
achieve that goal for our coordinate is where you want to run them. So the reason why pro players, in my opinion, run them in safe lanes, because when our coordinates in safe lane, he has that support of that safe lane support that he's laying with to help um, secure the farm for our coordinate. The reason I play him a lot in mid lane is because, well, I mean, mainly because I have to fill that mid lane role for our team, right? So if I have, if I want to play a hero, I have to somehow make it work in the mid lane. Mm-hmm. But with that said, like based on the, Based on the other mid laners I play with in my skill bracket, I find I'm usually on par or a bit better when it comes to managing my my skills in the mid lane. And, and therefore, I'm usually able to secure my own farm, uh, assuming I don't get ganked, um, without that help, without support. And, and that's kind of why I like to run them in, in the mid lane, because running running heroes in the mid lane gives you the added advantage of getting that early early XP and gain, gain, that, gain more XP than if you run them in either the off lane or, or the safe lane. And in for Arc War, and that means he gets higher levels in his in his spark rates quicker, which means those spark rates do more damage, which means when a low level support comes to gank you, you have those higher level spark rates that can really deal a lot of damage to those rotating lower level supports. Um yeah, so that's kind of my thought. Like in terms of he's is he better in mid lane, is he better in safe lane? It doesn't really matter. What matters is is that you lane him in a lane where he's able to secure his farm and get off to a good start so he can have that big impact later on in the game. All right, fair enough, fair enough. He is a very farm-dependent hero. Um, same thing with Morphling. What do you think about Arcordon's Aghanims and Shard? So his Aghanims has been changed. Before, it used to give you, like, a ba- not a bounty rune, like any kind of rune before. And it was kind of gimmicky. It didn't really factor in to a lot of oh, games. It was terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> the only rune you'd ever wanted was a DD. <laughs> Yeah, well, enough. I mean, arcane rune, right? You can uh, I mean, cast like, your tempest double. But I don't know, like Arc Warden again. His his whole toolkit is is getting that Midas and being able to use two Midases at once, right? One on his main hero, one on his tempest double, and so usually Arc Warden will be able to hit that level twenty five before game's over, right? And I think back then, when you were able to hit level twenty five, you you had a tempest double, either cooldown or or duration. Well, I mean, he has a duration now, but uh, anyways. I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, sure, Arcane Room could be okay, but it was really the DD you're after. And, and okay. to me, yeah, that 4,500 gold to get a DD isn't really, uh, isn't really the best way to spend your money. <laughs> but now it's been changed so that the Spark Wraith, after it hits um, an enemy, it uh, doesn't matter who, uh, it will spawn another one. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think this is a... Well, first of all, would you buy this? And second of all, do you think it's uh, a good um, agonims for him? Oh, I've wanted to buy this for so long because there's always times when we're sieging high ground and I'm throwing my spark race on their enemy high ground and then their supports are kind of running up to trigger those spark race so not so too many don't build up at once. Um, that agonim scepter would be a great item in that case. The issue with it is that there's always a better there's a better item to get than that agonim scepter, right? So. What Ignum Scepter costs forty five hundred gold? Do you know? Forty two hundred. Yeah, forty two hundred. So you know what? Forty two hundred gold, you could have gotten a BKB instead, right? Forty two hundred gold, yeah. you could have basically gotten a almost an Ascot. You could have gotten what's another item like like five hundred more gold, and you would have gotten a sheepstick, right? Uh, so it's, it's like, what would you prefer? Would you prefer a sheepstick, or would you prefer to have Spark Wraiths on the map? And I don't know, like sheep sheepstick is just it's hard to beat, right? BKB hard to beat, and and that's kind of the issue with with Agnims on Arc Warden. I think it's a good Agnims, right? It's super cool. It's just there's just better items to buy with your money than that. Okay, 
And what about his shard? So the shard is an upgrade to the magnetic field. So it pushes enemies outside the bubble. And then uh, it also provides 20% magic resistance to anyone inside the bubble. I mean, if you're playing support Arc Warden, that's the only situation I could see you getting that. And you would never want to run Arc Warden as support, by the way. Uh, Why not? Yeah. Why not? He has a slow. He has a nuke. It's What's wrong well, with support Arc Warden? It's, it's just like, yeah, you're right. He has a slow. He has a nuke, right? But if, if that's what you're after, then pick a lion, right? And then you get another hex on top of that, right? Um, if, if that's what you're after, then pick a crystal maiden, and and you know you get you get your slow, you get a heck, you get a root as well, and you get mana for your team, right? So like, like there's like the the toolkits that would make arc warden a support. There's supports out there that already do a better job of that. So why why pick up an arc warden when he can't do a better job at what would make him a support than already than other supports that are already out there? But the the, the thing I guess about the Aghanim shard, going back to that, the magnetic field pushes enemies outside the area and I, so i was thinking about this like all right you know let's say an ursa blinks on me i could have cast because again arc warden's biggest weakness is people jumping on them right so a ricky blink striking him uh ursa blinking on him uh what's another one that was someone else that can jump on ursa or jump on uh arc warden really well i don't know like like a pl or a pa yeah pa or uh you know templar assassin or, or storm uh, Storm, yeah, like all these here, like Arc Warden's weakness is is heroes being able to jump on them, right? And and you would think that having this Aghanim shard, which then pushes people away from them, would would be good, but it pushes it when you read it, it pushes the enemy outside the magnetic field, so right outside the magnetic field, right? So first off, the magnetic field doesn't push the enemy that far away; they they can just literally run back in. And also, one of the the magnetic field's biggest strength, in my opinion, is the fact that it provides that 100% evasion, right? So if you're pushing an enemy outside magnetic field, yeah, you, you now have the uh, enemy missing all their hits. But that enemy just needs to take one step forwards and they're back in the magnetic field. So so I don't know. Like For, for me, I think it'd be better if it, if the enemies got pushed outside the mag magnetic field and then plus some, right? So so outside the magnetic field and a bit more. So, so it requires a bit more effort or inconvenience for that hero to walk back into the magnetic field. What um, if it rooted the enemy for like one second or 1.5 seconds? Like pushed them out and then rooted them? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that'd be better. Just just something that buys Arc Warden time, right? Um, so when someone jumps on him, something that would then buy Arc Warden time so that he can then reposition himself in a variable location. Um, in terms of that Ignum Shard providing the plus 20 magic resistance, like as as a core that like as a core that doesn't really matter right because if you need magic resistance you're buying a bkb right you're you're not buying a 1500 you're not a 1500 gold agnum shard to get your magic resistance you're just buying a bkb right would you prefer if valve or ice frog just completely scrap the idea and just give him something new or to just kind of buff it to the point where it would be viable the, the issue of buffing it, so l l if we go back to your rooting example, right? So if Aghanim Shard was changed so that it pushes enemies outside magnetic field and rooted them, then that that might be, like, like yeah, that that make me want to buy it every game almost. But the issue of that is now it might be too overpowered, right? Because again, you have to keep in mind that this is a 1500 gold investment, right? And you don't want it to do too much so that it's so that it's basically becoming overpowered so for me i prefer valve just to think of something else think of a new idea um maybe like something that would come to my mind might be just increasing the damage on spark race because I, I know spark race used to have a talent 
Oh, it's actually still there. Um, but I remember it used to have a level 25 talent where Spark Race... Yeah, it used to be like plus 300 damage or something Yeah, or, or, or like mine is 5 seconds on Spark Race cooldown. So so maybe something to deal with Spark Race. Like, the, 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 by buying this Aegon Scepter, you make Spark Race a better ability, I think would be a bit bit more favorable than, than what this is now. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right. We have a few questions for you from the other people from our Dota group, basically. Let's see. First one. Sometimes in ranked, you play support. Um, I already know the answer to this. Uh, but which are your favorite support heroes? Mine, the two to come to my mind are Lion and Destructor. God, um, what is it about Lion that you like? I hate, I hate playing this hero. The moment I pick him after level one, I regret picking Lion. Why do you like Lion? He has two. He has basically two stuns. Well, I mean, technically one stun, one hex. So he has two ways to lock down the enemy hero, and then he has a massive nuke. Um, and particularly, Sha- you... why don't you just pick Shadow Shaman? Because. I've tried that, but Shadow Shaman, he he has his Hex, which is fine. But his Shackles requires Shadow Shaman to also be essentially shackled as well, right? Like, it's a, it's a channel. Shadow Shaman has to channel over his Shackles to, to happen. And, and and that finger is pretty good. I mean, like, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I think, like, at the end of the day, if you're playing a pub game, so if you're with five other random people, the more typically the stun, the t- typically the team, in my opinion, that has the most stuns is the team that's going to win, because at the end of the day, stuns kind of rule everything. If you're able to lock down the enemy hero, your enemy heroes, you're, you're going to win, right? They can't do damage, you deal damage, you're going to win that team fight. Um, and and it becomes a bit different if you're playing with a five, you know, five other people that you, or two or four other people that you know, because now you can coordinate and you can kind of combo. It's easier easier because you have that communication but when you're when you're with pubs uh, four other random people you don't have that communication typically right so, so whoever has all stuns typically wins and, and lime brings a lot of stuns to the to the table in my opinion um okay. so, so yeah that, that, that's why i like picking line he's, he's just a safe he's a safe hero right um yeah what about disruptor what is it about disruptor that's very appealing to you it's his ult and his ability to catch heroes that run away. Nothing is more satisfying than seeing an enemy hero running away, thinking they're out, they've made it, and then you just drag them back in with your glimpse. Uh, it's it's that's a it's a super cool feeling to have. Um, just being able to pull those people, pull those enemies, those retreating enemies back into the fight. Um, his AOE ultimate, his Static Storm, is also, in my opinion, a, a really good ability. Um, it. It's easy to set up because the toolkit for for disruptor is you can glimpse someone back, you glimpse them back into his kinetic field. So now when they get glimpsed back, they can't run away. And then when you drop your ult on on them, they are now silenced and they're taking damage over time. And that's just it's just a really good combination. The the downside with disruptor though is that he doesn't have any of that lockdown, right? And if you remember from my earlier comment, lockdown wins, right? The team with the most lockdown is the team that has the advantage. Uh, and and, and Disruptor doesn't really provide any, any of those instant lockdowns. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the big drawbacks to, to a Disruptor, as well, as well as BKBs. Once the enemies start getting BKBs, he becomes um, less effective. All right. And our last question is, um, any other heroes that you're looking at that you might kind of want to try? Or are you satisfied right now with the heroes that you are playing? 
I'm trying to work on Invoker. Uh, if, if I if I if I can get Invoker to a level where I can play Arcord and or Morphine, I'd be a very happy man. Um, so that's that's the hero that I have my sights on. But it's I don't know. I struggle with Invoker. It's it's combined his spells to a point that can be as effective as if I was playing another hero. It's 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 hard to do for me right now. All right. I think that's about it for me. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts? Anything that you want to shout out? Yeah, no, no, not really. I mean, like, like, thank you so much for hosting something like this. I, I think it's always a great opportunity to have um, conversations around Dota 2 and hopefully to encourage new players to, to join the game and, and to really kind of grow the community from there. So, yeah, I, thank you for putting this on, Iger. Yeah, no problem. If you guys ever see a Morphling spammer with like 2,000 or whatever games, it's probably Justin. Uh, thank you so much for listening and take care. See you next time.